0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. Today, I have someone on who has been on several times and I'm really excited because he is coming out with a revised and expanded edition of a book that probably all of you have already read. Today's guest is Mike Michalowicz and we're gonna be talking about one of his books, Clockwork, that is going to be coming out Shortly, I think in about a month, you can let me know. It's a revised and expanded edition. I'm flying without anything on right now because I have no idea what is in this newest edition of the book. So I'm going to be learning with all of you guys. Hi, Mike. Good to
1: see you. Thank God I know what's in the new book. So this one is not flying blind, you know?
0: It'll just be me flying blind and you're driving the ship on this one right now. All
1: right. You got (laughs) it. You got it.
0: Right. I think almost all of my audience has read Clockwork, the first edition. So I want to just spend some time having you talk about what's new and yeah. how that came to be that you decided to even put new things in there.
1: There's two components that trigger me working on a revise and expand edition. This is only my second book that I've done this for. My first book I wrote an edition or renovated the book was Profit First. Two components was this. First of all was the frequency of inquiries So people are saying, hey, I have a question about this. I'm trying to implement that. My intention of the book is that when a reader reads it, that they have everything they know or need within the book. The challenge I've noticed is when I do a presentation or keynote, you've been so kind to have me at your event, and I keynoted on clockwork, You know, people can raise their hands. and say, can you give me more detail or clarity? You don't get that in a book. You can't A like, person can't raise their hand and say, can you explain this further? You got to nail it in every single sentence. So first of all, there was a lot of inquiries coming in, which is an indicator that I may not be serving people optimally in the book. It may not be written as efficiently as possible. But the other Complementary indicator. Part two is the volume of book sales. No one's buying the book and it's confusing. Uh, maybe the book shouldn't even be out there because no one's buying in the first place, but if people are buying and trying to fight through it. Then I got to fix it. So the sales of Clockwork were increasing and the rate of emails coming in saying, Can you clarify this or that? was at the same rate as the book sales increasing. So it's like, okay, this is an indicator that there's demand for this subject. I have an opportunity to write it better. Yeah. That's why I wrote it.
0: Oh, I love it. So What is one of the most common questions that you were getting that maybe kind of started this process of thinking about writing an expanded or newer version?
1: About the QBR, the principle of the QBR stands for queen bee role. What I did in the original book was I was studying beehives and I believe in this concept called biomimicry. Basically, if mother nature figures something out and does it effectively, she's mastered it and we should replicate that if there's an application in our lives or in our business. And beehives are extraordinarily efficient at growing and maintaining themselves, scaling. Well, I studied how they do this, and every bee knows I'm putting air quotes around that, but every bee knows that the most important role or function happening in the hive is the production of eggs. It's served by the queen bee, that's her job. And the reason that's such an important role is that bees don't live for a long period of time. It depends on the species, but it could be four weeks on the short side to maybe if or months and alongside. So there's a lot of, I call it turnover yeah. in beehives. So what the bees do is they say, we got to be producing eggs. And uh, they also do other functions like defend the hive and collect nectar and pollen, but nothing trumps the necessity to produce eggs, including the queen bee herself. If the queen bee is failing to produce the eggs, the hive will kill the queen bee. They'll assassinate her effectively, and they'll spawn a new queen bee because we have to do this. We all depend on it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I was like, oh, in our companies, there must be something that is that critical function that must be happening. And if it doesn't happen, it kills the business. You know, the definition of most, there's only one thing that can be the biggest importance. So the feedback I was getting though is someone said, you know, if we don't invoice, we'll never collect our money. That is the queen bee role of our organization. Well, I explained the first book, but not effectively, was. What are you known for? Uh, what do you want to stake your business's reputation on? That's the idea of the queen bee role. It's how customers see us. And as long as we are meeting that extraordinary customer expectation, that one thing that we crush so well, or we're known for, we will continue to have a good reputation. But what happened with this person, I said, well, invoicing is everything. I said, well, call your customer and say, is the most important thing we do invoicing you? What are they going to say? Of course, No thanks uh, for the bill. We know we're getting it. But the number one thing you do for us is X, Y, Z. So I did clarify this. How I did it in the prior book was through deductive reasoning. You take sticky notes and you remove, yeah. it could be this, could be that. And you kind of hone in on finally what it is. But there's a much more efficient way. And what it is, is to start off with your big promise. The big promise is what our reputation hinges on, what we're known for, what we want to be known for. So an example with Zappos is we deliver happiness. They want customers to say, this is a joyous transaction. Mm -hmm. It's really delivery. FedEx, they stake your reputation on logistics. We promise to deliver your packages overnight. Mm -hmm. And so in the FedEx example, what we then ask, once we know what the promise is, what we stake our reputation on, of all the activities we do, what one most influences that? That's all we have to ask. In FedEx, they have a logistics department, the manager's logistics and the software and stuff. They have a print shop. I was actually just at one this past weekend. I need some stuff printed up. They have all these different things. Customer service department. If FedEx said, screw logistics, which I argue is their QBR, it's the production of eggs. It keeps the business alive. If they say, screw logistics, who cares where the packages are? But let's go all in on customer service and just wow people with how friendly we are. Mm-hmm. I think within one week, the headline is, you know FedEx doesn't know where an effing package is, but they're nice about it. Like, they're going to go out of business. Yeah. But, and this is a multi-billion dollar corporation. But if we did the reverse, if FedEx said, screw the customer service department. We're not even answer the phones anymore. We're going to mm-hmm. double down on logistics. We'll know where every package is, and we will deliver them on time. Now, one week from now, the headline is, FedEx not answering the phone, but every package delivered on time. Mm-hmm. They will be injured slightly
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the reputation, but they will keep that billion dollar corporation going. That's what we need to do. We have to say, what is the biggest thing we want to be known for with our customers? And then ask ourselves, of all the things we do, what do we deliver? What service or activity, I should say? Most services that big promise and then never compromise on it. Always make sure that's done. That's the QBR and how you find it.
0: That's really amazing. And I remember, I feel like I was lucky in a lot of ways to know you and have talked to you a bunch of times to have understood that because I feel like when um, I read Clockwork initially, I knew what most people were thinking at the time was what's the most obvious thing? The most obvious thing is a QBR, the thing that brings them in money usually. So like if you are yeah. you work at Famous Footwear, like it's selling shoes, because if you're not selling shoes, then the right. shoe store doesn't exist. When in reality... There's usually something much deeper than that that is actually that queen bee role. And in my own group practice, we spent a lot of time trying to figure that out, but also having the luxury of having had your brain to begin with in it outside of the book, realizing that, you know, I have uh, 60 or 70 therapists in my practice. And for us, it's not about like finding the best therapists in the world because we're multi-specialty. So every Mm -hmm. therapist has a different niche. When I saw clients, I did couples therapy. If you gave me a kid, even if I'm the best couples therapist and you give me a kid, I'm not going to do great. It was more about like our queen bee role was the process of effectively having our intake people, the people who are the front of the phones, coordinating the best referral within the practice. Because when that was happening, clients were actually getting the results that they wanted. It's not about just scheduling them with someone in our practice, but like having a system that accurately screens what the client's problems are through the phone. pain points, their personality, because we have therapists who do have same specialties where one is more client centered and calm and like Zen. And I have other therapists who do the exact same, have the same background, do the same trauma therapy, but they're a little bit more direct and they'll call people out on their shit. And Two clients who have trauma, one might really just need someone more calm and like let the client kind of run the session, whereas another one might need someone to call them out on their shit. And so we have this whole system of really coordinating the right fit therapist with client and then a the whole system afterwards. So for us, I
1: love that. I mean, yeah. that's such a perfect example, Yeah. but in my own business, as we went through the QBR too, it took me time to figure it out. I was like, Oh, maybe it's the presentation of the material of my research through keynoting and so forth. Mm-hmm. But the end day it was like, Oh, it's writing books, but the promise is simplifying entrepreneurship. Yeah. So my commitment to my customers is when you have an experience with me, I will simplify entrepreneurship for you. You'll get the end results faster or easier, or hopefully both. Mm-hmm. Then I had to go, well, what are all the activities I do that support that? Speaking, podcast interviews, so forth. Writing books. And instead of all these, what do I stake my reputation on? Well, it's writing books. Yeah. Like If I write shitty, shitty books, I'm never going to speak again. I won't get <laughs> podcast interviews. I got to double down on it.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, my whole team isn't writing books. It's me. I have a, a co-writer, my partner, AJ. We work on them together. But my team knows to defend that. If the queen bee is not laying eggs, the other bees don't necessarily lay eggs. They can mm-hmm. but they will take actions to ensure the egg production is going along. They'll they'll actually cool or heat the hive. They can do it through using their wings and other activities. So once you know where your QBR is, two points of importance here. One is it doesn't have to be served by a single person. In some businesses it is. And that's kind of where the analogy breaks down because we think queen bee is only one No, you could have ideally dozens as you grow or whatever it is, and it doesn't need to be the owner. And the the second thing is, even if someone's not doing it, they still have a responsibility to keep an eye out for it. If it's not happening, to wave that red flag or take an action to make sure that QBR is humming along again.
0: And to connect with that, what you just said. So our practice, I know for people who are listening, group practice owners, maybe wanting to get a sense of like how that translates into our industry, our practice recently, probably about six months ago or so. So we have an admin team who does all of the phone stuff. They have the whole system for making sure that the right fit, the clients are going to the right fit therapist and not just any trauma therapist. But we were noticing that we have a lot of KPIs and noticed that we're having some clients who were calling back wanting to be rescheduled with another therapist. They loved our practice, but Mm. it wasn't perfect. And so What we realized was that our clinical team, they were the ones, they're not part of the QBR. They don't do the uh, answering the phones and coordinating the calls and all that. But they were like, I think our bio pages, all of my clinicians have their individual bio pages. Maybe we should freshen that up. We've had them for a really long time. And so similar to what you were saying is like they have nothing to do with the actual scheduling of appointments or there's just the clinicians who see them, but they're like, what if we updated our bios and that's going to help our intake people be able to then reference our bios to give the potential clients just one more touch point of people making sure that that's a good fit clinician. Yeah, I
1: love that. It's another great example of protecting and serving the QBR. And the funny thing is, I think... The jump perception is like update a bio page. That's so minor. Like, who really even cares? But when you understand your QBR, it's like, oh my gosh, this is a critical point. And often those perceivably minor changes have an extraordinary impact on the health of an organization.
0: Yep, yeah, it does. I see in my little show notes. I've been uh, curious about is the power of the three point two hour productivity rule you have on oh. here. So I need to know what is this.
1: Okay, this is crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> so this research came out of England, and they identified. Predominantly, the research was around knowledge workers, stuff you're doing, that the average person is only productive 3.2 hours per day, regardless of the number of hours they're actually working. Someone can work eight hours or five, arguably 3.2, and they're still producing 3.2. The logic behind this is our batteries drain, like the iPhone, you got to recharge it up. It's hard to be engaged at the highest level all the time. So we have to recover. And often we do that through distraction, break time, whatever it may be. So the argument here is maybe we don't need people working eight-hour days. Here at our own company, 60 or 70% of our employees are part-time employees. And the, the secret, which is not so secret anymore, is they produce just as much as the full-timers. They're, they're still giving the full-time work, but they're choosing to take their break time at home. So whatever that may be, they have an agenda full at home, but it's not doing the activity so their brain can recover. Mm-hmm. Our eight-hour folks, our full-day folks, Just like myself, we need these breaks during the day just to give ourselves a recharge. So it may be a way for a business to run more cost-effectively, but if nothing else, it puts us around the optimization of how to leverage people. Yeah. And maybe the eight-hour day is not a productive day, honestly. I
0: don't think it is. Um, We are full-time therapists, are 25 hours. So they're salaried, full-time, full-benefit, unlimited time off, all of that. And that's at seeing 25 clinical hours. That's what we consider full-time. Our administrative team is at 40 hour work weeks and it's been on our agenda by the end of 2022 to figure out how we can take one full day's worth of work off of all of their plates while still being able to, for us, it's like the phones need to still be answered. So is yeah, it yeah, yeah. part time people and, and all that kind of stuff. So our hope is to be able to allow them to have the same salaries they have whilst cutting out a full day of work for all of them, taking out a full eight hours off.
1: We do that too. We cut out Friday. So yeah. year round. So we're 32 hours for a full-time person. And honestly, we don't even track the time. So you don't have to work eight hours just have to get your job done Yeah, and uh, no impact on productivity. If, if anything, I think we're more productive. Mm-hmm. It's a great recruitment tool too. It's kind of yeah. funny because so many businesses are on that old mindset saying, you know, 40 hour a week and you better be available all times. We had interviewed one of our own internal employees is asking about how they came here. They had a job offer for about 30% more than us. And they called us and said, listen, I got this job offer, asking for more money. I just want to know, can I start with you? And, and do you have a long-term plan for me? Because I, I want to come here. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, we do. Her name is Izzy. I asked her, I said, why'd you come here? She's like, the culture is such a fit for me. The work-life balance is extraordinary. She's been with us now about almost two years. Her friends come to her and say, how can I get a job working for your company? It was interesting, and this is this line she used that, that kind of opened my eyes. And I'm putting in the new book that many companies are just trying to fill in the blanks. They have a spot and just plug someone in, plug someone in. The smart company is integrating the whole person, their, their personal lives and their business lives, and really caring for the entire nurturing of that person's life. And those people seem to be the most productive and obviously the most loyal.
0: Yeah. And we're seeing, I think, with COVID, the shift in the what employees are looking for, you
1: know. Yes, oh yeah, yeah. And
0: flexibility is at the top of it right now. Totally. Which it wasn't pre-COVID, you know, it's usually income over everything or vacation time, but not necessarily like the flexibility of being able to work from home and the office or being able to just not work if you got your work done, you know. And we're seeing a big shift in that now.
1: COVID in that way was a major blessing. Mm-hmm. It forced the inevitable. I was always there, bubbling under the surface. And then right. It right. was the eruption with COVID.
0: Is there anything else before, I know we have a few more minutes, but anything else that is important or different that's going on in the book? I'm sure we didn't cover all of the things.
1: Yeah. But. So the book, about 60% of it is brand new. Concepts, I take it, that have enhanced and modified, stuff that I've removed. 40% is original, but it's entirely reworked and reconnected. So I hope when someone reads it, they'll find this as a fresh content delivered in an even more efficient way.
0: You have the 4D mix in there still?
1: Yeah. Well, actually we've added a fifth D and we just talked about. So the four D mix is still in there. That's a core tenant. The fifth D is downtime, the necessity of building downtime, which we're just referring to, but we also added a fourth T. So we talked about the three T's, which are trash transfer and trim. Here's what's so interesting is I was hearing back from readers saying, I don't want to clockwork my business because I don't know what to do with myself. If the business can run without me. And it's like, oh, whoa, whoa that's not the intent. Like,
0: book you need to be writing? Because that is where I love to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, right? But yeah. for some people, it's daunting. It's like, what do I do with my life if I'm not working? Well, the point is, when the business can run itself, we as the owners of the business now have the choice or the option to reinsert ourselves in the business in the way that we choose. Yeah. Not as a superhero swoop in and more likely mess things up, but there's certain things that we can treasure. So the fourth T now is treasure. What are the things that often are our zone of genius or our super strength, something we love to do, insert ourselves that way. But you can never get there until you extract yourself from the business and the business now running without you. Otherwise, we're a crutch for certain areas of the company. So that's a new big component.
0: I love that. I love both of those things. The fifth D is also, I think, a perfect addition. I'm so excited to read it. I thought, oh, there's not gonna be that much change. I always think that additions, like revisions are usually... A slight change. You can't tell the difference. usually are. Okay.
1: My publisher was blown away. Like when I did this, they came back a month into this. I said, why is this going to take so long? I gave them the regular publishing. It's taken me another year and a half to rewrite this book. Like, why is this taking so long? Usually a rewrite is about a month or two. I said, because it's a brand new book. They didn't have the right editorial team lined up. They just had someone just kind of almost kind of check the boxes and push it through publishing. They said, oh my gosh, we have to get the whole team back involved. I'm like, yeah, sorry. I miscommunicated that, but- (laughs) This is how I do revise and expanded. I'm very proud of the book. One last component I want to share is yeah. lots of new stories. So I was able to interview, I think, 50 people who have implemented clockwork, the actual full system, and had varying degrees of success. Some people really struggled in certain areas and codified it. I, I took, of those 50, maybe 12 stories, there's 12 kind of new stories intertwined throughout the book. It opens with a brand new story. It closes with a brand new story, but there's a pact in the middle too that really drive home the points. And make them very visual.
0: I think that's one of the key things with all of your books that just puts together such a nice story for the key concepts of your books is the fact that you're a really great storyteller. And you you find really relevant and good stories to combine throughout the book that kind of pulls all the pieces together. Thank Uh, you. Yeah. And what can be, well, not with uh, clockwork, but like, profit first. What can be, you know, very numbersy, dry sort of topic, you're really good at bringing stories in, in a way that makes it really exciting to read. So thank you. to able to read this one.
1: Thank you. Yeah. That's my goal is to make this stuff really accessible because it's fun, but it also makes sense. Yeah. I'll finish the audio book this Friday is my last recording day. And on the audio book, I added even more stories. So there's 12 in the book. There's about 15 16 total i want to include so there's additional three or four are in the audio edition oh,
0: that's cool wait so when does the book come out
1: comes out august um, something 25th okay. so funny i don't know if your it's your daughter my daughter's
0: head.
1: <laughs> is it oh great then let's make it that day You're i gotta look at <laughs> not it we're gonna
0: day. edit it in the show notes later
1: <laughs> okay okay that's funny i don't know i'm gonna pull it up right now because i'm curious
0: okay Well, I really appreciate having you back on. It's always really fun chatting with you and I look forward to helping and supporting you as much as I can with this new edition.
1: You are the best. Thank you for this.
0: Of course. All right, you have a good rest of your day.
1: You too. Take care, Maureen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. Like what you heard? Give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening from. Need extra support?